Good morning, Harlem. It's good to see everyone. Let's go to God, the word of prayer. And we are going to jump right into our message for this morning. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you again for giving us a beautiful day uh, to come before you and worship. Uh, Father, there are uh, thousands of people right now who are running a marathon which will give them an earthly reward, a medal that can rust, that can fade. Uh, but those of us who are running this spiritual marathon, we have a greater crown, a greater victory ahead of us. And we pray that you will give us the spiritual stamina, the spiritual endurance that we need to finish our race. We do pray that you keep all those runners safe, that no one will uh, be injured or hurt. And Father, we pray the same for us who are on our spiritual journey, that you'll help us to finish our race and encourage each other as we run our own. God, I let my pray that my words will be yours. Uh, move me aside, let your spirit speak through me, uh, and deliver the message you have for us today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So we started a series called Design, which we started to look at how unique each of us are and how to use our uniqueness to encourage one another and to also build up God's kingdom. And so I want to uh, continue on. If time permits, we'll conclude it today. If not, uh, we'll do part one today and then maybe part two next week. Uh, so the first time we were together, we talked about, uh, you know, just overall, we were designed for a purpose that, you know, we weren't just created to take up space. We weren't created to just exist. We were created for a reason. We talked about how uh, we have a sense of duty. You know, there's a part of us that feel that we feel this, we have this, uh, this desire to do something, but we may not know exactly what to do, but there's that sense of duty that we all have uh, that gets us over that hump. And then we also talked about experience, how our different experiences God can use to help people, right? God doesn't waste a hurt. So if you've gone through something, God can take that and use it to help someone else. And, and you know, and I, I really think that to me that's probably one of the most effective ways and really helping people is sharing your own experience. So when we talk about sharing your faith, we're talking about sharing what God has done in your life that's developed the faith that you have. Amen? So it's not just inviting people to church. We all love to see people. We love to see new faces. We love to see old faces. We love to see the same faces. But when we talk about sharing our faith, what we're saying is, let me tell you what God's done for me. Because maybe it can help you. Maybe it won't, I think it will, but let me share with you anyway. And I, I tell you, there are a lot of people out there who need to hear your testimony, who need to know that they're not the only ones going through what they're going through, especially if they have children. I got a call this morning from a sister who's going through a hard time with her kids, and I'm thinking, I got to go to church. That's the last thing I want to hear, but I got to be giving, and I got to be willing to share how, I've, how, you know, how God has used me to help her because she, needs, she wouldn't call unless she needed encouragement. And let me tell you, sometimes we just need that. People, people around us are hurting all the time. 
and you've been there on the receiving end of some discouraging news, and God has brought you comfort, and God has given you that comfort so that you can comfort someone else in need. Amen? So let's jump into this. Today we're going to talk about significance and hopefully nature. Significance and nature. Now, significance can also be the things that you're passionate about, the things that, that, that make you feel like you're, you're making a difference, that you're leaving your stamp on, on the world. And so, you know, there's a lot about things, uh, there's a lot about significance that I think that we sometimes overlook. It's the things that make you feel important. Like, what do you do that makes you feel important? It's usually the same things that you're very passionate about. And so uh, that's not in you for, by accident. That's, that's a design. You know, we, we're all designed to be passionate about something. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. And then next, we'll talk about nature, you know, your, your temperament, your personality. All of us have different personalities. Some personalities are the same. Some personalities you are attracted to. Some personalities you try to avoid like the plague, right? But we all have unique personalities. You know, I've done a series on this years ago. Uh, personality is usually like the, the candy wrapper over the, the, what's, on, what's on the inside, right? Your temperament is what's on the inside. Your personality is what you use to identify or uh, cover up that temperament. So Romans 12, let's look at significance. Romans 12, verse 11. Romans 12, verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Say amen if you ever felt challenged by this passage right here. Never be lacking in zeal. Sometimes I have to read this scripture and really wrestle in my heart. God, do you really expect me to never be lacking in zeal? I mean, God is a gracious God, right? So of course he'll let me go one day lacking in zeal. The scripture says to never lack in zeal. Zeal is passion. It's enthusiasm. It's eagerness. What if you lacked zeal in your relationships? Like what if there was a day you just lacked zeal for your children? Now you kind of get the point, right? Why God says to never lack in zeal. Because if you lack passion for your kids, they might be gone by the end of the day. You may pack their bags and be like, you know what, my zeal has run out. You need to go find another place to stay. But we don't do things like that. And so God says, your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never lack in your passion for God. And so that's our responsibility, to keep our zeal hot for God. Now, each of us have been uniquely designed by God to be passionate about certain things. Some of us are passionate for children. We love children. We love to be, especially the ones that's not our own. We love to be around everybody else's kids because they're going home in 10 minutes. But for the most part, some of us love being around children. You don't mind babysitting. You don't mind, you know, taking kids to the park. You don't mind taking kids to the mall. You don't mind sitting with them in church. You want them to be around you all the time. And serving kids make you feel like you're having a significant impact in their lives. Others have a passion for the poor. 
You have a hard time walking past a homeless person on the street without engaging them in some way, shape, or form. You have a heart for the poor, and what gives them significance, what gives you significance, is helping them. Um, others, it's music and worship. You listen to music on the way to church. You listen to the music during church. You listen to music on the way home from church. You just love worship. You love worshiping God. Uh, you know, it's just who you are. You just have to have music. You have to have worship. You have to feel like you're in a worship uh, state of mind when you come to church. Others have a passion for the elderly and the sick. They, they love to, to help those who, who are in need, who can't help themselves, or who, who may struggle in that, you know, in that area. Some of us have a passion for organizing great events. Uh, you may love, you may get a thrill organizing a Women's Day or Men's Day or ho holiday party and single events and different things like that. You, 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 know, you just can't contain yourself. You get so excited and, and you just feel like you're in your element and, and things like that. So you have a passion for those things, right? Some of us have a great enjoyment applying technology to improve our church experience. Video. This, I, I personally love this stuff. I, I can sit down at a computer and work on a PowerPoint presentation for hours. I just love that stuff. I love creating. I love, I love all that stuff. So, you know, you know, that's just me, right? Some people love sound. I, I, it has to sound right. Uh, you know, when I go to a movie theater... If the sound isn't right, I can't enjoy the experience. It has to be right. I need to feel the music. That's just who I am. I'm passionate about music and things being done right like that. So pray for me, but yeah, I love that. Um, some of us have a passion for encouraging the weak, the lowly and the hurting. You just can't stand to see someone sad. You have to go up. You have to ask how they're doing. You don't, like to have, you don't like people being party poopers around you. You have to lift people's spirits. That's just who you are. That's what you're passionate about. And, and putting a smile on someone's face makes you feel significant. Passion for God, you know, passion is that God-given desire that's in our heart to make a difference somewhere, somehow. What do you care most about? Where do you like to see your life make a significant difference? You know, Moses had a passion, something that gave his life significance. There was a, he, you know, he wanted to see his people liberated from Egyptian slavery. He was passionate about it. His first attempt at it failed because he tried to do it his way, but then God called him and said, hey, let's work together to, let my people, to free my people. And he was successful at it. Nehemiah had a passion, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. There was a, un, there was a holy discontent in his heart about the state of affairs in Jerusalem, and he wanted to do something about it. He was passionate about it. Paul had a passion to take the gospel to the Gentile nations, even though he was a Jew. It was like oil and water. But Paul had a passion to take the gospel to a different race of people. And God blessed that. He devoted his entire life to achieving that goal, even risking his life to see that those outside of his race got to hear the gospel preached. In 1 Peter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, Each 
one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very word of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, and the church says, Amen. God has given each of us talents and gifts that are not purely for your own benefit. But why did he give them to us then? The Bible says to serve others. To serve others. Now God didn't give us all the same gifts, but rather in various forms, like the scripture says. Think about it. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for? You know, we, we've given, we're given these gifts to make a difference in someone's life. And so if we're not making a difference in someone's life, then you're not going to be remembered for making a difference in someone's life. God has given you those gifts for that very specific reason, to serve others. You know, I often think about, I've done countless funerals uh, in my life, and I often wonder, you know, what would people say about me when my time comes? What would people say about me? Oh, better yet, what do I want people to say about me? Because if you, if you live your life, like, what do I want people to say in my day when my time comes? What do I want people to share about James? Live your life because there's a connection with your passion to what you want to use to be making a difference. You know, Mother Teresa will be remembered for her devotion to the poor. Till this very day, Martin Luther King Jr., his name comes up, even though there have been many people who have fought segregation and civil rights, but Martin Luther King is, is remembered because of his passion for this, his passion to fight social justice in the U.S. He had a holy discontent for seeing one race oppressing another. That's what he's remembered for. Even though he was a preacher, he was a, he was a reverend in, in the church, he's remembered for this thing. Bob Pierce, some of you may not even know who this is, but Bob Pierce founded World Vision. He went and he served in China and different places throughout the world. He watched children fall over and die while waiting for food. And he said, I got to do something about this. And so he started World Vision, which is basically uh, a campaign, you know, foundation that goes and, and takes care of impoverished children worldwide. One person one passion. That's what he's remembered for. So on your day, when people are sharing about you, what do you want them to say about you? And are you living to see that that happens? Because every one of us can make a difference in someone's life. It doesn't take a whole lot to use what God has already. You don't have to go to school for it. It's already in you. And so use what God has already put in you to serve someone, and you're making a difference. You know, for these people, living out their passion is what gave their life meaning. It's what gave them significance. Now, most of us may never make a PowerPoint. You may never have a street named after you. 
You may never have a school named that. Some of us don't even want that. We don't want the spotlight. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to make a difference. The question remains, at your funeral, what do you want people to remember you for? He was devoted to helping troubled youths find God and peace. She devoted herself to education, educating the uneducated. He spent his life fundraising so that many people can hear the gospel, not just here but abroad. What do, we, what do you want people to say about you? You know, I've done funerals where you can tell people were trying to find something to say. And that, that's pretty sad. And I'm thinking, man, had I not prepared something, would anybody share anything? I don't want that to be my funeral. Even if you got something bad to say, say something. I'm like, you know what? James got on me about being late, and I thank him for it. I'll take that. You know, maybe you never really thought about it. Maybe you... Maybe you've expressed your passion before, someone laughed at it, and you got discouraged and put it aside somewhere. Maybe your parents told you you were just daydreaming, your heads were in the cloud. Focus. What are you passionate about? You know, you've got to identify what those passions are and allow God to fan it into flames. The Israelites would have stayed in Egypt had Moses' passion burned out? Had he had given up after Pharaoh's first no? Who knows what would have happened? Maybe they would have stayed enslaved for another hundred years. But God chose Moses because he had a passion for his people. And he went back again and again and again until finally his people were liberated. You know, sometimes you got to keep going at it to really see it make a difference. You can't just give up after the first rejection or after the first discouragement. you got to keep going, especially if it's burning inside of you. you got to keep letting, because maybe God put that in you for a reason. Now, there are, however, two things we got to be careful of. The first thing is, if people are not as committed to your passion as you are, now, you may view them as unspiritual. You may think that they're being worldly because they don't share the same passion as you. You may feel like everyone should serve in the children's ministry because that's where your passion lies. You may think that everyone should go through chemical recovery ministry because that's where you're at and you feel very passionate, you're very healthy, and you know this is, this is what helped me to turn my life. Everyone should go through it, and if they turn away from it, then they're not really committed to Jesus. You may feel like, why aren't more people ushering? Everyone should serve. Everyone should usher. Everyone should do this because I'm doing it. And you may think that people are not as spiritual as you are because they're not doing the things you're passionate about. we got to be careful about that. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 17, it says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I think we would all agree it would be foolish if the eye were to criticize the liver for not having the same passion for seeing as the eye. We've got to be careful of judging others in this way. Now, I'm not talking about the things that God expects all believers to be passionate about. God expects, expects all of us to be passionate about repentance. You don't get an option there. God expects all Christians to be passionate about discipleship. We're not excusing anybody who says, well, you know what, bro, I'm just not passionate about repenting of my sins, so, you know, that's not my gift. No, we all have the gift of repentance, all right? All of us. What are you passionate about? And are you allowing God to use you to make a difference? The second thing is, is your passion worldly or spiritual? Now, this is a conflict I think we all face at some point. Okay, well, I don't really see how this gift could be used in a church, so I'm going to use it here. Now, here's the thing. Your God-given gifts can be used in the kingdom and outside of the kingdom because they were given to you by God. Jesus has even gone as far as saying, using your worldly world to win, those in the, win friends in the world for the sake of their salvation. Not just so you can say, I got a lot of friends because of how talented and gifted I am. Remember, everything we do with what, we, what we're given is to bring glory to God, to show people to God. It's to make the gospel attractive. And so here in Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, For the grace that God, of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say what to ungodliness? No. Sometimes you just got to hear yourself say it. That sinful thought that comes in your mind, what, do you, what should you say? No. Don't entertain it. Don't give Satan a foothold. Don't let that tape keep playing out. No. And in the worldly passions, what should you say? No. God has prepared you. He's equipped you how to deal with these things by simply saying no. I'm not going there. And I'm not going to let the devil take me there. Then he says to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You may feel like the world is going off the deep end, you don't have to follow them because you have a spirit that teaches you how to be self-controlled. Now, not all of our passions are from God. In fact, our sinful nature also gets energized by sinful pursuits. But it's God's grace that teaches us to say no to worldly passions. For example, if you struggle with greed and money problems, you can be very passionate about financial success. But you'll keep most of it to yourself. If you have lust problems, 
you may get extremely passionate about serving around those you're physically attracted to. If you have race issues, you may be passionate for lifting your racial group over others. But here's the thing, as Christians, we're all one color. Blood red. Because we're covered in the, in the blood of Christ. So when we look at each other, when God looks at us, he doesn't see black, white, Asian, so on. He sees one race. And we need to strive to see each other the same way. You may be extremely passionate about the green horn dung beetle that is heading toward extinction. God bless this little soul. You may want to go join Greenpeace and all that, but we're going to do something different. We're not going to focus on that because that's not something we're, we're, we're going to be passionate about. See, the thing is, we have been giving great gifts to serve others and to make a difference. Now, I'm sad for the greenhorn dung beetle, but I don't think that that's what God has called me to do is go save a beetle. God has called me to save people. To help people. And if I got some time, on the, maybe I'll save a beetle or two. But here's the thing. How do you, how do you know where your, your, the spirit of God is leading you versus where your sinful nature is leading you? How do you know which one is leading you? Is this a godly passion or is this just my sinful nature right here? Ask yourself these questions. Does my passion glorify God? Number one, is this, does this glorify God? What I'm about to get in, what I'm about to engage in, what I'm about to commit myself to, does it bring more glory to God than it does to me? Second, does it benefit the body of Christ? Because you know that anything you're passionate about requires resources. Maybe not financial resources, but time, energy. Passion requires all of you. So if it's taking you away from the body of Christ, then you've got to ask yourself, is this really from God? Is this a passion that I need to follow because it's taking me away from the body? The next is, does it edify? Does it make me more spiritual? Does it help more Christians? You see, these are questions, and when you look at it, they all intertwine with one another. Because if your passion glorifies God, then it will benefit the body of Christ, and it will edify you and others. And just as if you, you know, you're doing something that edifies yourself and others, then it will benefit the body of Christ, and it will bring glory to God. You see what I'm saying? It's a cycle. It's all enmeshed because it's all for the glory of God. But if your passion takes you away from any one of these, then you may need to rethink that. Because if it's not benefiting the body of Christ, then that means it's also not glorifying God, and it's not edifying you or anyone else. So any one of these are missing out of the equation. Chances are it's a worldly passion. Now look, I don't know what God puts on your heart. Only you and God knows that. But you have to go to God to make sure that God makes things clear to you. Amen? Now, prayerfully, once you identify your passion, 
it will lead you to one of five ministry categories that were given from Scripture. Worship ministry. You know, you love to inspire people to stand in awe of the love of God. There's so many ways where you can use your gifts. We have, you know, our part singers, which we see every week. Every now and again, we have a, a, a dance or, or what do they call it? Praise worship? Praise dance? Someone said that? All right. I don't do it, so you guys know, you know, I'm not, you obviously know that's not my passion because I would have been able to say it right off the top. But I love to see it because it's just another form of giving praise to God. Some people do spoken word. Some people use different forms of, of, of worship to, to call us higher to God. It can just be a poem that gets us thinking about the awesomeness of God. It can be anything that draws you to worship and contemplate the vastness of our great God. And so some people are drawn to that. You can use your gifts in our worship ministry. Equipping ministry. Um, you, maybe you have a, 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 a spirit of teaching the Bible. You're passionate about teaching the Bible. You love to read outside the line. You love to, to dig deep and, 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 and learn about the biblical cultures. You like to learn a little bit more about what was going on in that time and, and how did this and why did Jesus say this. And, and you like to make the Bible come alive to people. Maybe that's where your strengths can be realized. Or maybe you have a deeper passion for the care ministry. Building up the families in the church. Caring for those who are poor. Caring for those who are physically, emotionally, and mentally hurting. You have a gift. You're a great listener. You don't have to talk, be taught how to listen. You just, you just are. You know, some of us are not born. We have to learn how to be uh, great active listeners. Some of you are just naturally great listeners. That was put in you by God. That was put in you by God to be used in his ministry. Maybe your gifts can be realized in a uh, support ministry. Freeing up leaders from the practical concerns that, so they can focus on ministry and prayer of the word. Maybe there are things that you can do that can free up Zalika and I so that we can focus on moving the church forward. Things that you, you're just a responsible person that can take a task and say, you know what, don't worry about it, I got it, boom. So that we don't have to think about certain things. It gives more people opportunities to feel used, especially when you know you have a gift in these areas. And then lastly, outreach ministry. Some of you are just naturally great at sharing your faith. You're very creative in figuring out ways to get the word out. You can talk to people online, social media. You just, you're, just, you're just evangelistic. Your lifestyle speaks for you. Some of us, we've got to build up the courage. We have to, have to you know, get a script or something that we say to people. Some of you, it's just natural. Maybe that's where your strengths are. Are you using it to help build a church in that way? Planning outreach campaigns. Assisting in mission work. Maybe you, want to be, maybe you can become a missionary. Our church still, there are places that still need to hear the word of God. Maybe it's not here in New York. Maybe it's somewhere abroad where you have a burning passion in you. A sense of adventure where you want to take the word where it's not being preached. See, God has put that in all of us. God has given each of us a passion to be used 
and we will only feel satisfied when we're doing it. Otherwise, there'll be this spiritual uneasiness about us. We get spiritually cranky. We get spiritually irritable. We just, we, we, we just like, man, there's something, there's this itch I want to scratch, but I just don't. Think about if you're using your gifts in the way that God has called you to use it. If you are, then chances are you're happy right where you're at. But some of us, we're just uneasy. And then you know what ends up happening when you don't use your passion? You get bored. You start getting bored with the very thing that saved you. You know, I, know I would never get bored of church until there was a time where I wasn't using my gifts and talents for God's, God's glory. And I'm like, man, I'm bored. And I never thought that I would hear myself say that. And it wasn't until I started using my gifts and talents that God gave me for the reason. Then I started feeling, okay, now I need a break. I'm not bored. Now I need a vacation. And so that's what happens when we're not doing what we're supposed to do for God. And we just got to figure out how God put me where my, my, I can use my gifts. Where, where, which ministry? Can I use my gifts? Is it worship? Is it, is it equipping? Is it care? Is it support? Is it outreach? Where can I make the most difference for you? Put me there. Now, you should have two factors to help you find your God-given gift, your experiences, right? What God has put you through. Remembering that God never wastes a hurt. And then your spiritual passions. And the third and final one is serving God according to our nature. Serving God according to our nature. Ephesians 4.11. You guys still with me, right? Ephesians 4.11. says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. That word some means not everybody. You may feel like you're an evangelist, but if God didn't call you to be one, you're going to be very disappointed. You may think that you're a pastor. You have all that takes to be a pastor. That's something we can all aspire to, to be an elder in the church. The characteristics that I encourage you to go back and look at Titus, look at Timothy, look at the requirements. I think there's things that we, we can all aspire to be. You don't have to be paid by the church to be evangelistic, to, be, to have the character that Paul is calling these leadership um, and these, these positions of authority to be. You can be those people in the church. Now, each of us has been given certain abilities by God to achieve what God has given us to do. And with those responsibilities, those abilities, God has designed within you a temperament or a natural disposition. Now, we do things according to our temperament. They come relatively easy for us. For example, when I go into a room, a crowded room, I look for one person to talk to. I don't need to go into the middle of the crowd because that's not who I am. I look for one person, we can sit and we can talk the whole night. I don't have to talk to 100 people in the room to feel like I've, been, I've enjoyed the party. I can sit there and just laugh at everybody else. Why? Because by nature, I'm an introvert. I don't have to have a million friends to feel happy. Now, there's some people, they go in, 
Kaboom! Guess who stepped in the room? It's like, they got to let everybody know they've arrived. And then, you know, maybe not as profound. Maybe they go in and they just say hi to every. Hey, hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, give me some love. Hey, hi. And you just got to greet everybody. You just got to touch everybody. And when they sit down, they sit down in a semicircle. Because they got to have conversations with five people at the same time. Why? Because they're extroverts. That's how they roll. Now, here's the thing. One is not better than the other. Society has painted introverts as a bad thing. And extroverts as the preferable thing. God neither highlights one over the other. In fact, you can make an argument about both. You look through the scriptures, you study different characters out the Bible, you'll see Moses was an introvert. Paul was an extrovert. Peter, extrovert. Timothy, introvert. I'll let you decide which one Jesus was. Jesus was the perfect balance of both. Jesus was with the people, but then he also went up on the mountainside alone to solitary places so he could pray. I think what would be preferable is we were a perfect balance of both. But there's a reason why God made you the way you are. And you need to think, God, look, I used to think because of how society painted introverts that I was a bad person because I wanted to spend time alone because I only enjoyed having a few friends rather than a million friends. But then I learned, I'm saying, no, there's actually a strength in that. And then I used to not like extroverts because I thought some of them were phony. Like, how could you possibly like all those people at the same time? That doesn't make any sense to me. But then I learned that, no, that's possible because that's how they're designed. And so some people are outgoing extroverts. Others are deep-thinking introverts. Some people love working behind a computer solving problems and completing assignments. Other people like being out in the field interacting with people. Some people love structured environments. Others prefer more open, free working conditions. How do you identify yourself? Because this can best help you identify where and how your design can be used by God. So let's, I mean, let's do a little quiz here. How, do, how well do you know you? Are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? Right? Where do I get my energy? What drains me? If you're recharged by being around people, then you're probably an extrovert. But if being around people drains you, then you're an introvert. I go home from church, I got to take a nap. And it's not because you guys are draining and, you know, like Jesus turned around, who took that power out of me? You know, sometimes that's the case, but not all the time. I just need a nap. Because I give, and I'm, I'm talking, and I'm like, you know, I'm having conversations with people, and, and then by the time I get home, I'm like, wow, I feel like I just ran a marathon. My wife can have a million conversations, come home, and still want to do stuff. I'm like, aren't you tired? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. And I'm just like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll dream about you, because I'm going, I'm taking a nap. 
And then I get recharged and I'm ready to give again. Some people get recharged by being around other people. And I'm still like, amen. Are you a thinker or feeler? Deals with how you make decisions. You know, typically, if you're a thinker, you tend to make decisions based on objective facts, right? Give me the facts and then I'll make a decision. You like to do your research. You like to get all the information, and then you can draw your conclusion, right? If you're a feeler, you tend to make decisions based on intuition. You know, I just feel like this is the right thing to do. A feeler does not mean you never think, and a thinker does not mean you never feel. We're all a combination of both. There's just one part that dominates the other, right? Are you more self-controlled? Or are you more self-expressive? Do you tend to express yourself openly? A good test of that is your Twitter and Instagram account. You're outgoing in expressing the way you feel, the way you think. I'm me, I say what's on my mind, and to be very expressive and open, that's just who I am. That's totally fine. Or do you tend to be more controlled and reserved? Like, you'll tell people what you're thinking if they ask you what you're thinking. Some people are more controlled. They like to be in a controlled situation. They like to be in control of the situation. They like to be in control of their emotions. When they, their emotions are uncontrolled, they're miserable because, no, I have to be able to control my emotions. Someone who's expressive, they let it all out. They'll cry that ugly cry, you know, and, and they don't mind people seeing what they feel. Some of us will hide what we feel with a smile. And those who are very close to us, those are the ones we'll open up to. Which one is better? It's preference. It's how you're designed. I think there's strength in both. Do you prefer routine or variety? If you like routine, you like tasks that are predictable. You like to know when things are going to happen, what time they're going to happen, you like to know those things. You like tasks that are pretty much the same. You don't like things that are new. In other words, you do not like change. So when James is like, all right, we're switching up the house churches. What? You're ready to have a heart attack. You're like, no, I just started liking these people, and now you're going to start, you're going to put me in a new group, and i got to start all over again. What's wrong with this church? Blame me, because I like variety. I, I, I like variety. Some of you don't like it at all. Boy, you know, variety, yeah, I like variety. I like something new all the time. I like the unpredictable. I like every day to be different. Some people, boom, 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 boom. Now, these are neither right or wrong. It's just that God makes us differently, and we need to know, we need to have balance, right? Because if you're rigid, you're your routine, you can be rigid. And God may want to bring a change to your life, but because you're so rigid, you're like, oh, no, 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 oh, and you may resist the change. You could also be so out there, that your, your, your life is all over the place. And you can forget things because you like something new. So you, something new comes up, you already forgot the other thing, and then you're like, so you got to find some balance. It's good to have a calendar. 
It's a good thing. It's good to be organized. You can have variety within your schedule. But then you also need to learn to be a little flexible. Because God may call you to help someone that will be an inconvenience to you. And if that's what God is, if you're wired that way, then you've got to be willing to allow God to use you to, incon- you know, to be inconvenienced. Every single person that God has called in the Bible was inconvenienced. Moses was tending to the sheep. It was an inconvenience for him to go up and chase this one, you know, and, and be called out of his... David was, was tending his father's sheep. It was an inconvenience for him to go and slay Goliath. He wasn't, that wasn't his job. Most of the people that Jesus, everybody Jesus called, it was an inconvenient time in their life. But he called them anyway. So we got to be flexible and allow God to use us how he sees fit. We need people who like routine, and we need people who like variety. This is very important that you understand because some ministries are very routine, and some ministries are very unpredictable. A routine ministry would be like our sound team. Prepare for the same thing every week. Every midweek, set up the, set up the, uh, the, the music, set up the mics. It's routine. It's routine. Now, what's unpredictable might be the media ministry. Sometimes the clicker works. Sometimes it doesn't. There are different slides. Sometimes there's audio. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's, it, it's different. Sometimes it's unpredictable. I like to keep them on their toes. <laughs> so you've got to ask yourself, do you like routine more than variety? The next thing is cooperative or competitive. This is how you relate to people. Some people are born competitive. It's not fun unless there's some competition. It's not fun unless there's a goal and somebody else is trying to reach that goal too. Other people say, I hate comp- competition. I don't like to compete. It's, uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like to compete against anybody. I like to cooperate. I like us all to do the same thing. Can't we all just get along? That's, that's your motto, right? Can't we all just get along? Let's do the same thing in the same way. Again, there's neither right nor wrong. I think there's time to cooperate, and then there's time to have a little competition to get you out of your comfort zone. But when one becomes too much and the other becomes too much, you can lose yourself in cooperation. Sometimes your voice, especially if you're not the loudest person in the room, there's a thing called groupthink, you know, where you have a, a, a group of people that, are suppo- that were put together to come up with a solution, but because of the dominating personality in the room, everybody decides to go with that person because they're the loudest person in the room. They're the most dominant presence in the room, which means that everybody else, their ideas don't get heard. So when you swing too much that way, cooperation can be harmful. When you swing too much... The competitive way, everything becomes a competition, and nobody really enjoys that because that can bring a division between marriages. It can be a division between relationships and friendships. No one wants to compete on everything. Bro, okay, I get it. You shared your faith with five people. I only shared my faith. I mean, it's like you don't want everything to be a competition. Hey, I read five chapters this week. Oh, really? That's it? I read the whole book. You don't want everything to be a competition. 
I had my communion. Oh, I had two communions. I'm sorry. I'm, I guess I'm, too, I'm more spiritual than you are. A significant part of your design is real is revealed through your personality. It's another way that God has put his divine fingerprint on your life. Your nature helps you discover how to express your passion. So you may be saying, well, James, how does my passion and my personality guide me to my design place of service? How do I know where should I serve? How does that all work? Well, let me just give you a couple examples, and we're going to wrap this up. Let's say your experience and passion is working with kids, but your personality is introverted and structured. Then your place of service in the kids' kingdom It may be in the kids' kingdom, but your role is probably not lead teacher, but rather co-coordinator. You get all the material ready, you can set up the things for the kids, but you're not the one to lead the discussion because it doesn't fit your personality or your passion. In this way, your passion and your temperament are working together because you're doing something according to your strengths, right? Or let's say your passion is in media, but your personality is extroverted and unstructured, right? Then your place of service is likely to be acting in some videos or, or maybe um, something more structured than editing them. Because if you have to sit down and look at a screen and edit it, that's going to drive you crazy. But you may be the person that as actually acting in the video, or maybe doing a part when we do plays in church. Maybe that's where you're, you're best suited, all right? Uh, maybe you give your life, what gives your life significance is helping the poor. And your personality is cooperative and structured. And then your place of service is most likely to be a team member rather than a team leader. Because you would rather go along and support than rather than be the one responsible for putting it all together. And then lastly, if your passion is worship and your personality is introverted and self-controlled rather than self-expressive, then leading songs is probably not ideally suited for you. Maybe being the one that leads the songs are not what would suit you. You get terrified at the thought of it. But finding songs for the, church, for the worship team to sing and maybe working with them to, to find new songs and, and, and maybe remix a few songs, maybe that's where your strength lies. And maybe that's one way you can serve. You know, there are many ways our personalities can help direct us and guide us to the right ministry where to serve. If you're visiting, I think you should be thinking about that too. Like, well, how can God use my talents? And my gifts to make a difference in my community. Where can, I best, where can I make a difference? Start right there in your building. Start right on your street. Start right in your neighborhood. Because God is looking for people to help other people. That's how he does things. He uses us to make a difference in other people's lives. You may think, you may think that there's nothing you could do. You may feel so overwhelmed by all, that's go- all the bad that's going on around you that it cripples you and keeps you from making a difference. It only takes one passionate person to start a spark. And then that ignites a flame. 
maybe you're the spark that God is looking for. Maybe you're not the one to see it fall through. Maybe you're the one to just put the idea into someone else's head. You know, I don't know if you guys remember, but years ago we started a prayer campaign where we went around and we would ask people for prayer, prayer requests. And we had the church go out, and that started with one sister. She was the spark, and she set the whole church ablaze with that one idea. She didn't organize the whole thing. She didn't set everybody out. That was passed on to people whose passion it is to organize, to send out. One spark ignited a change. Maybe that's where you're at. I don't know. Only you and God know. The motivation has to come from the right place. And that's the thing that God is looking for. And lastly, we'll close out here in 1 Corinthians 13. In verse 1 it says, If I speak in the tongues of angels, of men and angels, but not love, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now this passage is used most at weddings, but interestingly enough, the context of this passage is not about marriage or relationships. In fact, it's about service. In 1 Corinthians 12, it's all about using your gifts to serve the body of Christ. In fact, he goes on and says, now I will show you the most excellent way. And then Paul goes on to talk about love. Love being the driving force behind why we do what we do. And serving others. Wherever we serve, however we serve, it must be done with love. When we serve in the kids' kingdom, we got to love those kids. They feel it. And they will respond in kind. When you serve in the music ministry or, or ushering, do it in love or passion or else it's just a resounding gong. If we serve the poor, give contribution, invite people to church, it all must be done in love. If we give all we possess to the poor but have not love, we gain nothing. And so indeed, we want to use our gifts, we want to use our passions, but we also want to have the right motivation behind it. And the Bible says that it has to be love. Because without a heart of love driving you towards service, you will eventually resent doing it. And that's not what we want. Now sometimes we do it out of a powerful sense of duty, but the highest motivation has got to be love. Amen? So let's serve God according to our design. Let's serve God according to our passion. Let's take some time to ask God, how can I be used? How do you want to use me? Where do you see my gifts being used the most? And let's have a willingness to be used by God. You never know. You could be the spark that God is looking for to take the church in a whole new direction. And with that being said, let God have the glory. Amen? Amen.